0: Book of Ephesians, chapter 5. The way I have our messages planned out, it looks like that by the end of the summer we should be done with the book of Ephesians. So you can be praying about that. And what a rich study this has been, has been for me anyway. The one preaching and teaching it, I think, always gets. greater blessing from the study of it but I trust that the Lord has shown to you what the aim of a church is and what the church is to be doing and how it's to be functioning and here in this passage we have a passage that necessitates every believer being filled with the spirit and so what I'm going to do I'm going to read Ephesians 5 verses 22 through 24 And then I'm going to jump down to verse 33 and read the last half of that verse. This morning we want to look at the subject of submission in relationship to a believing wife to a believing husband. Ephesians 5 verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife... As Christ, excuse me, also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Verse 33. Nevertheless, the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. As I mentioned before, we've seen that this is flowing directly out of being filled with the Spirit. The content of what the Spirit is filling us with is the fullness of God. I want you to go back to Ephesians 1, just recover this. Look down at verse 23 when it says that God the Father has put all things in subjection under the feet of Christ, and gave Christ as the head over all things to the church, verse 23, the church which is his body, now note this, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now if you go over to chapter 3 and look at verse 19 in Paul's prayer, Paul prays for the church that they would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you, that is the church, may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Again in chapter 4 and verse 10, referring to Christ. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he, Christ, might fill all things. And then again in chapter 4, in verse 13, when he talks about the giving of gifts unto men, the gifts of evangelist, pastor, teacher, it says that this is for the equipping of the saints, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, <clears throat> to the measure of the stature which belongs to the what of Christ? To the fullness of Christ and so when he says in Ephesians 5 verse 18 to be filled with the spirit he's not talking about just some kind of mystical ghostly entity that we're to be filled up with He's referring to the content of this mystery of God, the words of Christ dwelling in us richly, so that we might be filled up with all of God's fullness. All of the fruit of the Spirit would be made manifest in the church and in our lives individually, so that we would be conformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. And when this is happening... We walk differently. How do we walk? Well, we have different speech. Our speech is normally filled with complaint. When we are filled with the fullness of God, our speech is filled with gratitude or thankfulness for what God Himself has done. We have different music. Chapter 5, verse 19, that in the church we have psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody with our heart. From our heart to who? To the Lord. We don't have an ungodly music, ungodly lyrics, ungodly sound with our music. It is to be, could we say this, a taste of heaven? what heaven would be like. Not only are our lyrics and our music changed, not only is our speech changed, not only are we more thankful, but we have this aspect, verse 21. We are subject to one another in the fear of God. We are submitting ourselves one to another. In verse 21, the context of that is the local New Testament church that as we are gathered together with one another, our music is different, our speech is different, our speech is full of gratitude unto the Lord, we are submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of Christ. So, as we teach, as we exhort, as we admonish one another from the pulpit, if that admonishment is an echo and a reflection of what the text is saying, we are to be what? We are to submit to it without question. If a brother or sister is exhorting us or teaching or giving us counsel, if that counsel is in agreement with the scripture, we are to be submissive to it. This is to be our attitude whether it be our words to one another, whether it be the music that we are singing one to another, we are to grow up in Him in all things. We are to do this voluntarily, not under coercion, and arrange ourselves under one another in the context of being filled with the fullness of God. Submission, which is a beautiful word, carries with it the idea of service one to another. It's not like the disciples who are arguing, who's the greatest? That's not the submission. That's not the spirit of servitude. And our submission is to be done unto God in the fear of displeasing Christ. Submission is not a male invention. Submission is not an authority, creation. Submission is instituted and commanded by God Himself to His people, and we are to do it unto the Lord. Now last week I mentioned several tiers of submission. And when we're talking about being subject to one another, we're talking about being subject one to another under the arena of God's eternal purpose, under His nurturing, under His discipline in the church. That is what I call level one, level of submission. Level two involves a spirit of submission. In every relationship of life, we are to be easy to be entreated. We are to be humble. We are to be ready to honor, ready to submit, to give honor to whom honor is due, ready to obey. And submission does have inherent within it obedience. I preached a sermon. I went back and looked for it. I preached a sermon March 8th of 2020. The title of it is Honor All Human Authority. Well, I argue that submission includes obedience. No one is exempt from submission to an authority because you're more educated than they are. Or your experience is more detailed or broader than your authority's experience. We're not exempt from being submissive to an authority because their tone isn't like we like it or their demeanor isn't what it ought to be or whether we can spot some sin in their life or not or whether or not we feel like they're being demeaning to us when they give us an order or a commandment or a strong exhortation on something to do. The command or the desire of an authority stands alone, and we are to be ready to be submissive unto that. And then there's the level three, and you really hope you never have to get to this level. And that is that in the fear of displeasing the Lord and maintaining a spirit of submission, a believer might have to what? We might have to disobey an authority and suffer for it. That's what 1 Peter is speaking about. And the Bible does speak of this. And our model of submission is who? Is Christ. Here He is... He's going to be put to death on a cross. He's going to be tortured. The Bible says that He is tortured and beat beyond recognition. You couldn't even recognize He was a man. He is God in human flesh. And yet, he submitted to God the Father. And he submitted to this injustice. That's that's hard for us to get our minds around, isn't it? Folks, he is God in human flesh. When Pilate looked at him and said, Don't you know who I am? Answer me. If it was me, I would have said, "Don't you know who I am? I created you, buddy. And at my word, I you would die." Is that how our Lord answered? He did not answer that way, did he? But what was he doing? He was submitting Himself ultimately to the One who judges righteously. He was committing justice to who? To God. And folks, I've said this before, I've said this many times, I'll say it again. Nobody, nobody Gets away with anything. Nobody. You say, well, they, they escape prison. Nobody gets away with anything. Why? Because all roads end up at the throne of God. In the end, God's going to make everything what? Right. So, whatever injustice has been done to you or to me, at the end of the day, God Himself will make it what? He will make it right. And, brethren, that is very liberating. And this is why we can maintain this spirit of submission. Now this morning, my intention in speaking to wives and to ladies in general, my intention is not to be comprehensive. My intention is not to answer every question that you might have. If you have a question, I'm more than happy to Talk with you about it, and if I can provide a scriptural answer, I certainly would uh, want to do so. In 2015, which I know is back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, I did an extended series on the family, and it is up on the web. You can download these. Um, I think it was in a Sunday school or adult Bible study class. I did 33 messages on the family. And I go into every detail possible. And I looked at that series on sermonaudio.com. I looked at the series and I clicked a button and I said, show me the most popular message that's been downloaded and played with this series. Do you know what it was? And my series is on the family. Here's what the title. Singleness is a gift. <laughs> that was the very first most popular message in a series on the family, which I did when I saw that. I did what you did. <laughs> I busted out laughing. So if you're interested in being single, there you go. You've you got that message there. So my intention isn't to answer every question. But let me keep it within the context of the book of Ephesians. In a righteous world... Submission would be both easy and natural. But the fact of the matter is we don't live in a righteous world. We live in a very much sin-cursed world. And folks, what that means is is that human authorities, regardless of who they are, are not always right. Can we agree with that? They're not always right. A human authority can exercise their authority harshly. I think we all can agree with that. We've seen exercise of harsh rule and of authority in our newspapers. An authority, a human authority, can rule unjustly. They can aggressively seek to suppress you. They could go after Christians. They could even put Christians to death. There can be conflicts between authorities. Children love to do that. Get mom opinion differing from dad's opinion. What's so great about that? Because then they get to pick the one they like. So if they don't like dad's, they say, but dad, mom said... A believer can be put into a situation where obedience to one authority means being disobedient to another. Yes? And authorities can be jealous over someone else's authority. (laughs) In other words, brethren, an authority can be engaged in all forms or all types of transgressions. And I think we should know this because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinful. No one here is perfect. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And yet nevertheless, submission, and I'm quoting from a commentator, Submission is a beautiful expression of confidence in God's sovereign disposal of all of life's affairs, unquote. It is a beautiful expression of your hope in God in every area of your life. And we're accountable for our decisions and our actions whether the authority is right, whether the authority is wrong. Now, we're living in a day where our culture basically has erased all structures of authority except one, and that's government. Due to the democratization of our nation, we live in a society where everybody thinks their opinions are equal with everybody else's and deserve to be heard. We live in families where children expect to be heard on the same level as an adult. It's amazing how the structures of authority have collapsed in our culture. And I'll just give you one little illustration that I think will help bring this home to us. Uh, Several months ago, and when you're my age, it may have actually been a couple of years ago, but it was fairly recent. (laughs) I read an article, it was a running article, and it was about coaching runners And we're talking about professional runners, Olympic runners. And this coach was telling me that, was telling me, was in the article saying that uh, he got nominated to go to Kenya to be a coach for some of the Kenyans. And if you know anything about running, endurance running, the Kenyans and Ethiopians are like, they're just number one. Okay. Any race, you expect the top five to be from those nations. And the coach was writing this, and he said he remembered he went there, and so he brought in the runners. He was the coach. They were the runners. He brought in the runners, and he started telling them um, about coaching and um, what he was thinking that they should do. And he was going into all this, and they were listening. And at the end of it, he said, well, what do you feel about that? And he wrote in the article, he said, they all just looked at him with this blank look on their face. And finally, one of them said, you're the coach, you tell me what to do. You see the difference? They have a very hierarchical society in those nations. They recognize the authority of the coach. So coach, you tell, you're the coach, you tell me what to do. Because I don't have any feelings about it <laughs> either way. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Now try that today in America. I'll just give you a clue, it won't go very far. And the other tension that does come into the area of submission is a tension that our Lord Himself said. Jesus Christ said that He came to create tension with our authorities. Listen to this. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. So is Jesus telling us that there's going to be tensions with authorities? Yes, so you have all that into the mix. But folks, in all that I've said, we as believers are to be submissive to our authorities. Even our Lord Himself submitted to His parents. Were they sinful? Was He? No. No. And yet He voluntarily arranged Himself under Mary and Joseph. And in our passage here, as Paul begins to address another sphere of submission, he's talked about submission in the church, one to another, now he's going to address the wives and the husbands and the children, etc. As he addresses here in this section, this arena of submission, there are only two commands in this section. All the way from verse 22 down through verse 33, there's only one command, the rest of them are strong exhortations. And both of the imperatives, both of the commands are given to the husband. Look at verse 25. Here's the first command. Husbands, do what to your wives? Love your wives. Here's the second command, verse 33. Each individual among you also is to love his own Wife. That's the second command. Now, does that mean that the wife and the children and all are free? Well, no, because the context and the understood subject is the term submission. And that's why it's added in verse 22 Literally, it reads wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Again, in verse 24, so also the wives to their husbands in everything. The understood exhortation is what? For them to be submissive. So what are the two exhortations to believing wives to their husbands? First of all, You are to walk in submission to your own husband as to the Lord. And you'll see that in verse 22. And the second exhortation is in verse 24. So also the wise ought to be to their own husbands in everything. See that she fears or respects her husband. She is to have not only to walk in submission to her own husband as to the Lord, but she should have secondly a fear to displease her husband. In the same manner, you would fear to displease your Savior. That's very important addition there. So if I was to sum this up in a little statement, I would sum it up this way. Wives are to walk in love to their husbands with an emphasis on the spirit of submission, manifesting in everything conformity to Christ. That would be what Paul is exhorting you to do. And folks, this is the worthy walk. This is the walk in light of you and I being saved by His grace. This is the walk that is worthy of this calling by which we have been called. This is the type of walk that manifests that you have been filled by the Spirit with all the fullness of God and that His words are dwelling richly in you. Wives are to walk in love to their husbands with an emphasis on the spirit of submission manifesting in everything conformity to Christ. Now Paul's going to give two reasons for this. And those reasons are given to us in verses 23 and 24. The first reason that a wife is to do this is because Christ is the head of the church. You'll see that in verse 23, for or because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church he himself being the Savior of the body. So what is Paul doing here? He is paralleling, right, two relations. A relation with Christ, and is he the head? Yes, He is the head over the body. We read this in Ephesians 1. He's the head over the body. The body is the church. Just as he is the head, are we to be submissive to him? Are we to walk in obedience to him? Are we to let his words dwell in us richly? Are we to walk in conformity to him? The answer to all that is what? Yes, he's the head of the church. Well, in a marriage between a husband and a wife your husband, ladies is your head. The husband is is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Now, he's the head, but but listen closely. He's not the Savior. Christ is the head, is he not? And he himself is the Savior of the body. So your husband is your head. Well, what does that mean? It means that your husband, this is his obligation, your husband is Jesus Christ representative and likeness in your home. Your husband is the representative and likeness of Christ in your home. He's the head of that home. Now I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul's addressing another issue and it's not my intention to get into the other issue other than to look at how he argues for this when he argues about the relationship between a wife and her husband. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 beginning in verse 7. Verse <clears> 7. <throat> The context is whether a woman should have a covering over her head. And he argues for that beginning in verse 7. He says, for a man ought not to have his head covered. Now here's what I'm interested in in light of our study this morning. Since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of who? The man. Everybody see that? Now let me give just a little bit of understanding here. Paul is not saying that the woman was not created in the image of God. She was. They were created in the image and likeness of God, male and female, God created them. So the man, was he created in the image of God? The answer to that is yes. Was the woman... The answer to that is yes. But what Paul's doing is emphasizing the difference in glory. So he says, verse 7, The man, Adam, is the image and glory of who? God. But the woman is the glory of who? Man. Why is that? It is because of the origination of their creation. So let's just think about this just for a moment. Without turning to it, I think we all can see this. Who was created first, male or female? Male. Can we all agree about that? The man, Adam, was created from what? The dust of the earth. In other words, God acted as a potter. And He took the clay, as it were, the dust of the earth, and He formed this man. And then He breathed into the nostrils the breath of Life. And man became a living what? Okay. What was the woman created from? From the man. She was created from the dust formed, right? Into a man. She was created from the man. Not from the dust of the earth. So she was created from the dust of the earth indirectly. We could just put it that way. But her origination was from the the man. In that sense, she is the glory of the man. Why is that? Because this woman is of my flesh, Adam said, and of my bones. What Adam was saying to Eve when she was brought to him by God was, Wow, this is my glory. She is of me. So your husband is the head in your home. He is to be Christ's representative and likeness of his home. Why? Because... He is in the image and glory of God, and the woman is in the image of God, but she's the glory of the the man. Verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 11. For man does not originate from woman. That's what the culture will tell you. But woman from man. Now let's think about this on another level. It says that man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for whose sake? The man's sake. In other words, God looked upon this situation. Here's Adam. He's solitary. He's called to be fruitful and multiply. And He's looking and naming all these animals and they're all there in pairs. And God looks down and says, it's not good that man should be Alone. Now, listen to what God says. So I will make him a help suitable for him. So, if we're talking about what is a woman's God created purpose in relationship to marriage, it is to be a help. That is your God-called responsibility. And ladies, one of the best ways to be a help in a marriage, and again this is downcry in our culture, is to help your husband fulfill one of the commandments of God, and that is to be fruitful and multiply. Your husband cannot do that by himself. He has to have a help. And that help is his, his wife. And folks, I think that's self-evident, right? Men don't have wombs. Women have been created with that aspect of being a help uniquely to them. And many men that I've talked to have said to God, thank God that they are uniquely created that way and not me. A woman did not originate from, a woman originated from man and a woman was created for man's sake. For the help of a man. And folks, that is why just as we go back to Ephesians, when we're talking about headship, We're not talking about domination. We're talking about headship. That as Christ is the head of the church, so the husband is the head of who? Of the wife. He is to be Christ's representative and likeness in the home in regards to headship. And you are to represent Christ and be like Christ in your home in the arena of being a help to Him. And part of being that help is to be submissive. And remember our tears. That as He seeks to nurture and raise up His family in the things of Christ when those things are in agreement with the Scripture, you are to submit in how much? Everything. Which is exactly what he says in verse 24. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. So here's the reasons for this strong exhortation to show the spirit of submission in your homes Is because your husband is the head, because Christ is the head of the church, and secondly, the church is submissive to Christ its head. Now I think when we read something like this, verse 24, as the church is subject to Christ, I I think our first response is... uh, What type of model today do you think the church is modeling their submission and obedience to Christ in our culture? Would you rate it a 10 out of 10? Or would you rate it a 0 out of 0? <laughs> in other words, we're not doing very well, are we? But I think we all can agree that the church is supposed to be subject to Christ in how many things? In everything. Can we not agree on that? And folks, what that means is this, that if you want to see a model or an example of what submission supposed to look like in your home, you look to the church. It's not vice versa. It's not the church is to look to our homes or our family as the model. The family is to look to the church as the model. In every arena that the church glorifies God through the Son in the church so the wife is to be to her husband. And folks, if you think about that, it just makes beautiful sense. If we are submitting ourselves one to another, in the church, and that is our heartbeat, should it not spill over into our families? Yes or no? Yes. But if we're being individualistic, if we're living our lives for ourselves if we're not involved in a member of a local New Testament assembly where we're holding each other accountable to God's eternal purpose, then you don't have a model for this. In fact, the only model that you can look at is some supposed nice family out there that you think you would agree with and you'd like to see your home look like. But the model is to be the local New Testament gathering of God's people. And that is why, brethren, it is so important that we as a congregation walk in the spirit of submitting one to another. Whether it be mutually one to another, or whether it be to our leaders that are there in the church who are exhorting you, who are watching over your souls. We've got to have that Spirit here. And when we go out that door back there, we're to carry that same Spirit into the world. Some people have said that Our homes are to be little churches. I don't like that illustration, but I get the point. I mean, you never say that government should be a little church or any other authoritative relationship in your life. You don't say the schoolroom ought to look like a little church. But I get the point. The point of it is, is that as the church is submissive to the Lord, we ought to see that same type of submission in our what? In our homes. So ladies, wives, young ladies that hope to be married, you are to walk in love to your authority with an emphasis on the spirit of submission Laboring in everything to be conformed into the image of Christ. And that begins at a very, very early age. I used to give out counsel to people in marital counseling, and I used to say to the husband, I used to say, Look, uh, look at your potential spouse, watch and see how she relates to her father. Now, why would I say that? (laughs) Because the way she relates to her father is the way she's going to relate to who? To you. So if she's always criticizing her father, if she's always putting down her parents, guess what she's going to do to you one day? And I used to say to the ladies, I used to say, Ladies, look at your potential spouse. Look at how they handle adversity. Look at how that man treats his mother, treats his sisters. Because how he handles that little form of headship, how he handles that is the way he's going to handle who? You. And they don't just magically change because you get married. <laughs> Many people have married a spouse, thinking I'll change them. And 9.9 times out of 10, it never what? It never happens. It begins in a home with how brothers treat their sisters and sisters treat their brothers and how they treat their parents how you handle yourself in a church, how you are going to handle yourself one day being an employee. We are to have the spirit of submission. So let me conclude by giving four little points here to encourage us in this arena. Your relationship... of a husband and a wife are to be in harmony with the relationship of Christ and the church. Both the husband and the wife are to be immersed into the eternal purposes of God for them. They are to be giving their energies to be reflective of Christ in every area of their life, in the church and in their homes. That's their passion, to be well-pleasing to Him. Secondly, to be well-pleasing to Christ is to walk worthy of the calling. Walking in good works, which God Pre prepared before the foundation of the world, and wives you should fear to do otherwise. Thirdly, this spirit of submission is even to an unbelieving, disobedient husband. Now I want to go to 1 Peter real briefly and reread, relook re-look at a couple of verses that we read for our Scripture reading here this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3. So, so everybody turn there. 1 Peter chapter 3. I've been making the argument that what wise are to be showing in submission to Christ first of all, is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, in 1 Peter 3, we have the situation of a disobedient husband. And look at what it says concerning the wife's behavior in verse 2. As they observe what type of behavior? Chase and... Respectful. Folks, is that a fruit of the Spirit, yes or no? Yes. Here's the wife walking in purity with a fear to displease. Or, verse 4, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable. That means this is of God. God with the imperishable quality, and someone's already mentioned this, of a gentle and quiet spirit. I think we all know what gentle means. The word quiet here means not to be easily stirred up. Folks, would you say that that's a fruit of the Spirit? Yes or no? Yeah? Yeah? This is how you're submitting to your husband. By showing the fruit of the Spirit. Or verse 5, For in this way in former times the holy women also who hoped in God. Is that a fruit of the Spirit? Yes. Hoping in God. They adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. A wife is not to put an emphasis on her external adornment. Ladies, that's the way the world thinks you catch a man. And they put a lot of effort into this. Clothing, fashion, cosmetics. And I'm not against cosmetics. One man said, I say this tongue-in-cheek, if the barn needs painting, paint it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But here's what I am saying. That can't be the focus of your life. The focus of your life has to be internal. It has to be what people can't see physically. The hidden man of the heart. That's what has got to be worked on all the time. That is what needs the adorning every morning when you get up. An adjustment of heart. That's what you need as you walk through this world. A constant adjusting of your heart. So that your heart is in exact harmony with the Son of God. That's what you want. And ladies, when it comes to submission, those things are the way you show submission. How do I know this? Well, verse 5. For in this way, that is, having that imperishable quality of a meek and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God in this way. In former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves. Now note this, used to adorn themselves being submissive. They're tied together. A submissive heart shows submission. A quiet heart shows quietness. A gentle heart shows gentleness. A chaste heart shows purity. It is the heart that has to be worked on. And brethren, don't you agree with me? This is what the church is supposed to be working on. Our heart. And this isn't something new. This is something very, very old. It goes all the way back to uh, Abraham and Sarah. In fact, it goes all the way back to where? Adam and Eve. What caused problems in Adam and Eve's marriage was sin. not the institution of marriage. When sin entered into the world and death by sin, that's what caused the problems. Fourthly, <clears throat> wives, and really all of our ladies, and I'm, this could be true for all of us, but I'm applying it to ladies, Your husband should know these growing qualities about you. They should know it. Where do I get that from? Well, it says, 1 Peter 3, verse 1, that they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe Your husband should know these growing qualities. Notice I didn't say perfection. He should know these growing qualities in your life. That your desire is to please the Lord. And the offshoot of that is not being displeasing to your husband. They should know that your behavior is pure and blameless. No handles in your life that he could put his hands on as justification for his disobedient behavior to you. That your husband should know that your hope is in the Lord And that a spirit of submission develops a spirit of prayerfulness. Those two things go hand in hand, by the way. And he should observe the growing qualities of the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. In other words, he ought to be able to see your inner man being outworked in your behavior. Now, he's going to see that, but... We're looking for the good and holy things. And I just sat down and listed a bunch of them. You ready? You're not going to be able to get these down because I'm going to go through them all too quickly because they're not exclusive. There's others. Does he see a growing humility? A growing gentleness? A growing patience? A growing meekness? Growing in kindness? growing in forgiveness, growing in gratitude, growing in sacrifice, growing in teachability, growing in joy, growing in submission, growing in obedience, growing in hope, growing in prayerfulness, growing in maturity, growing in stability, growing in contentment, growing in purity, growing in holiness, growing in giving, growing in being word-oriented, not feeling-oriented. Do I need to go on? Isn't that enough? Because what I just read here that ought to be observed in our wives is the same thing that ought to be observed in every one of us here in this room. You ought to be able to look at the person across the pew and say I've known them for so many years and I can actually say they've grown in the grace of God. And then maybe pick out one or two major areas that you see that. And I think, I think we all would say that if a woman really is living that way, do you think that would have a powerful witness to a disobedient husband. yes or no yeah why? Because he's not just hearing what you say because the kingdom of God is not word only it's in power Paul says. the power of what? the power of the life of Christ in the soul of a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl to the glory of God. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord.